So on behalf of the elders, we want to thank everyone here for your hard work and, and for coming out for our 50th. Uh, if you were here, it was an amazing time of worship, getting to see some old friends and, and some new friends. So uh, thank you for all that work and for your contributions. I don't know about you, but when we sang Our God, He is Alive, it was pretty amazing, wasn't it? But as we looked at the past 50 years, it's time to put our eyes on the next 50. And as Jeff Walling said, it's not really the next 50. It's until Jesus comes again. And we want to make sure we're thriving and making God proud of our family here in Mission Viejo. So this past week, the Haygood family joined us. They were here last week as our senior minister. So at this time, I'm going to have Robin just stand up for a moment. I, sorry about that. I don't warn you. There's Robin. You're going to meet Jason in a minute. They both graduated from Freed Hardman in 2003. Jason started his, in the ministry in 2001 where he served as a youth minister for a small country church. And if you've ever, ever been around a small country church, you do about everything, don't you? So you do a lot of work. He then went on to serve in Janesville at the Janesville Church of Christ in Wisconsin for seven years. And then they were called by God to move to Southern California, where he's preached at the Yorba Linda Church of Christ for the past 11 years. Jason and Robin have been married for 20 years. You might have also met Paisley. She's in children's worship now, but she's six, and she just started the first grade. Now, with all these good things to say, and, and you're an amazing preacher, we do need to tell you about a challenge for these two. It's only fair. They do come with a little bit of baggage. They are cheeseheads at heart, as most Wisconsin people are, and they do root for the Green Bay Packers. So um, we'll convert them to the Dallas Cowboys shortly. Yes. Um, but they do call Southern California home, and uh, they're excited to be here, and, and we're very happy about that. So let me say we're truly blessed to have them, and uh, we're honored at this time, I'd like to introduce Jason Higgins. Thanks, Glenn. Good morning, everybody. I can tell you, Glenn Robin will never forgive you for making her stand up in front of him. <laughs> you guys have made us feel so welcome over the last week and a half, and uh, especially the, the staff in the office has really gone out of their way, the elders and their wives. And I just have to tell you real quick, um, one of my favorite things that's happened already here, when I first went into the office, uh, one of the kids here, and I don't know who, but had written on the whiteboard in my office, hello, friend. And uh, whatever sweet little hand did that, I hope they know how happy they made my heart because uh, we've just felt so incredibly uh, welcomed here, and we have been very excited about this day specifically for a while and getting to share the word with you guys. So thank you for making us feel so uh, welcome and comfortable. And we are looking forward especially to getting to know you guys and building relationships. And that, that takes time. We just left a congregation that we got to spend 11 years with, and they will forever be our family. And I can't wait until we get to the point where we can call you guys family. But along that journey, please be patient with me. I'm not good with names, so if you get a whole lot of, hey, you guy, over the next few weeks, uh, I promise just keep reintroducing yourselves, and I'll, I'll, I'll get it down as, as best I can. 
For everybody who might be joining us online for this morning's worship, we are so grateful that you took time to do that, and we hope that uh, if God is willing, you might be able to join us in person in the near future. If you would turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the passage that Aaron read for us this morning, and I'm grateful for that, I realize um, that there's a lot of gifted people in this congregation, and I've already seen that at work just in the week and a half I've been here. I got a real small glimpse into the amount of work that went into preparing for the 50th, and so just reiterate what what Glenn said. Thank you for everybody who worked so hard to make that a reality. It was kind of neat because we got to experience it kind of as visitors, and I got to tell you, it was a very welcoming and warm experience. We enjoyed it very much, so thank you for all the work that you put into that, and I also had an opportunity this past week to be uh, in Glenn's uh, Genesis class and was very encouraged by that. And I just, real quick, if you'll allow me a sales pitch, if you're not re- already taking advantage of the classes that are offered on Wednesdays and Sunday mornings, Aaron started an adult class this morning on fellowship and community. Uh, encourage you strongly to take advantage of those classes. If you want to know God's word more intimately in a way that truly shapes your life, please take advantage of those opportunities. I realize that I have an opportunity this morning to make an impression upon you. First impressions are everything. And so I've been racking my brain for the last few weeks thinking, well, how can I really knock their socks off this morning? What can I do to show them who I really am? And some of you are probably wondering, well, what makes this guy qualified to get up here and preach to us? And and why did the elders ask him to come and work alongside us? So I kind of went through my whole history and I've pulled out something I think is really going to wow you, and you'll have to forgive me for just boasting a little bit this morning, but um, without further ado, here it is. You're probably thinking, I've never seen one of those in real life. I promise you this is real. It is the coveted Newspaper Boy of the Month Award. Yeah, yeah. And that's me, right? If you can get past the hair for just a minute and the glasses... That's me, right? And the reason I want to share this with you is because this is a perfect introduction to who I am. All right, this was given to me in the spring of 1994, and the the font's a little small on there, but basically it says this is in honor of Jason being a great paper boy, and I want a $25 gift certificate to Walmart, because where I grew up, Walmart's the coolest place in town. And I got my name in the newspaper and all kinds of stuff, right? But this is something I've held on to for a long time because it reminds me of something. On that particular Sunday in April of 1994, and I just just set the stage a little bit, April in Southern California, you're thinking it's beautiful, right? April in Wisconsin is an entirely different beast. April in Wisconsin, Aaron can tell you from Illinois, right? It could be 75 and sunny, or it could be 25 below with a foot of snow. This was one of those Sundays, right? So I had a newspaper out. I had a little over 100 houses every Sunday morning. Had to get up at 4.30 in the morning, fold the papers, put them in plastic bags, and then go throughout my town, which is a little college town, and deliver these papers. Well, that particular Sunday, there was a friend I had in school that I had been working on forever to come to church with me on Sunday morning, and I finally got him to agree to do that. And so he spent the night with me at my house that Saturday night, and he even agreed to get up with me early that Sunday morning and help me deliver the papers. And so we split them up into two different bags. I was all excited because we were going to knock it out in half the time, and it was freezing cold. We get to the first place where I deliver a paper, and it's this great big frat house in Whitewater, Wisconsin, and there's a big row of hedges that line the main street of the town in front of this house. And he said, hey, I got an idea. 
And he grabbed my bag and he grabbed his bag and he made a spot in the bushes that were covered with snow and he dumped all of the papers into that hole and he covered it up and he said, we're done, let's go home. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? And then we started to go home and I felt terrible and it ate at me, right? And I'm thinking, here I am inviting this guy to church on the first Sunday and instead of making a strong impression at, uh, on him, I'm just going along with this way of skipping out of work entirely. And then to make matters worse, the next week I get a call from my boss saying, I drove around and I didn't see a single paper left on anybody's doorstep. Well, because I never delivered them to begin with, right? But I didn't have the nerve to tell her that and so she awarded me this award. And this has been something I've held on to for all these years as a reminder of who I really am. I'm a man who loves Jesus intensely with all my heart. And I'm a man who has tried my best to follow him in my life. But my best is never good enough. And I've learned along the way that without his grace and his mercy and his steadfast love, I'm nothing. And without a community of people that I belong to, I am nothing. And so I've held on to this because, at my very best, this is who I am. I am the world's worst paperboy. <laughs> and so, if you want to call me anything and give me a title, I'm not a big fan of titles, but just call me paperboy as a way to humble me and remind me of who I am. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul is writing the second letter we have recorded for us to the church in Corinth. And he starts telling them about how it was easy for him to become conceited because of the gifts that God had given him spiritually, and specifically that he had been made aware of truths that other people hadn't. And so he talks about the fact that because of that, God had given him something to keep him humble and keep him from getting conceited, a thorn in his flesh. And how Paul had prayed to God three different times earnestly for God to remove that thorn from his flesh. And instead, God gives him this response. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, listen to this, is made perfect in what? What's the word he uses? Weakness. My power, God tells Paul, is made perfect in Weakness, therefore I will boast, Paul says. I will brag. Give me an opportunity, I will boast. But what was Paul going to boast about? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are at our weakest, that's when the strength of Christ can shine through in our lives. And this is so the opposite of the way that we try to get through life. We want to boast about the things that make us strong. And we spend our lives trying to build up our strength and trying to illustrate to other people just how strong we are. But Paul was saying in his ministry, what he had learned is that his strength meant nothing. It was his weakness that was important. Because in his weakness... People weren't looking to Paul anymore. They were looking through Paul, and they were looking to whom? To Christ. And so Christ was elevated through Paul's weakness. And thinking about that weakness, we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, our text for this morning. And let me read it again for you in its entirety. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1. This is again Paul, now writing in his first letter to the church in Corinth. He says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech 
or wisdom. Paul's not the guy who's going to headline the gospel meeting. Paul's not the guy you're going to call on to wow everyone with his articulation of the gospel. That's not Paul. Paul was powerful in a different way. I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except whom? Jesus Christ. This is, this is Paul's only, only priority in life, was to tell people about Jesus. And he says, when I came and I ministered to you, church in Corinth, this is what I did. I focused entirely on Jesus Christ. Just finished up 11 years of ministry with the church in Yorba Linda. And as I got done, I was thinking about what will my last lesson be? And at some point I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach the first lesson I ever gave in Yorba Linda. And I'm going to see if I would do it any differently after 11 years. And the first sermon I ever gave there was in the spring of 2011 when they flew me out to try out. Knew nothing about the church in Southern California. you got to understand, when you grow up in rural Wisconsin... Orange County means nothing. You look at a map and you just see L.A., right? And the last place on earth I ever thought I would find myself is L.A., but I came and I fell in love with Orange County. I fell in love with the Christians in Orange County, but I really wanted to impress them, and so I gave one of my favorite lessons, which was a lesson about David and Goliath. And I looked at my notes, and I thought, there's something missing from this sermon. Or more appropriately, there's someone missing from this sermon, and that someone was Jesus. And so I preached that sermon again to him, but I preached it totally differently. I preached it the first time the way that most people are tempted to preach that story. What do we do with the story of David and Goliath? We say, David was brave because of his faith in God, and if you can just be brave like David was, then you can do what? You can defeat the giants in your own life. And we make it a self-help sermon. That's what we do. That's what I've done forever. But by the grace of God, Scripture has come alive to me in a way where I realize how short-sighted that was and how I robbed the Scripture of its true weight and glory and power because in that sermon, I never once mentioned the name of Jesus until the invitation. Oh, by the way, after all that stuff about what you can do on your own, if you happen to need Jesus, come forward. But when we look at that text through the eyes of Paul... And all we're doing through every biblical text is trying to lead people to Christ. Then what we see in that story is a foreshadowing of the Christ to come. Do you remember when Israel, ripe with messianic expectation, started to think maybe this Jesus guy is the Messiah we've been waiting for? Do you remember the title they assigned to him? The name they referred to him as? Do you remember what they said? When he entered into Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion and they laid down those palm branches, what did they say? Hail, Hosanna, son of David. Why? Because for them, the, the Messiah was the realization and the fulfillment of all the promises God had made through Israel, but especially through David, that root of Jesse. And so they recognized that in Jesus. They recognized that David, although he might be our ultimate king looking backwards, is not our ultimate king looking forward. He was just a glimpse into the Messiah God would one day send us, and that man was Jesus, the ultimate Christ, the ultimate king. But if you look at that story now with Jesus in mind, what do we see? We see Israel gathered across the valley from the Philistine army, and they're terrified. Every one of them, including King Saul, are terrified of the giant that stood before them who continued to mock 
the name of God and his army. And here comes David, the shepherd boy, and he wants to see what's going on. He's brought food to his brothers. And he looks out and he hears this man mocking God's army and he says, what is going on here? What will the king do for the man who defeats him in battle? And he goes out, can't even wear the armor because he's not comfortable in it. And he grabs some stones and he grabs a sling and he charges out there after the best trash talk in the history of mankind. And he kills Goliath with a stone and he cuts off his head and he's defeated the enemy. What do we have here? We have God's people gathered against an enemy too big for them and God's anointed one, David, comes forward and does what they can't do on their own and defeats The giant. That story is not about how us and our own strength, how we and our own strength can defeat the giants before us. It's about how we will never be strong enough on our own to defeat the true giants in front of us. Our enemy is too strong for us on our own. But Christ, the anointed one, has come to defeat all of our enemies, including death, once and for all. This is all a foreshadowing of the Christ who would come. And so when we preach the story of David and Goliath, it must become the story of David and Goliath and Jesus. I'm convinced this is how Paul would have preached that passage, and it's how I've decided to preach it too, because what my aim is in preaching is not to make you feel stronger when you leave this building, but to get you to focus your eyes on Christ, on Jesus Christ. Everything we do points towards Jesus. Paul did that in his ministry, and I hope that we can do that collectively in ours. But he doesn't just say Jesus Christ. It's not just about working Jesus into everything we do. He says something specific about Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you again. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and, what specifically? Him crucified. I don't know about you, but I find that very interesting. Because if that were me writing that letter, I would have said Jesus Christ and him resurrected. Looking at the resurrected Christ and thinking about the hope that lies in the resurrection. And Paul's not ignoring the resurrection, but he mentions the crucified Savior here because there's something inherent in the crucifixion that we need to understand. And what Paul is doing is he's pointing us back towards what he said in the previous chapter. When you think about Jesus and specifically the crucified Christ, listen to what he says in the previous chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 22, he says this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, and it doesn't satisfy either one of those demands. It's a stumbling block to Jews because how in the world would God let his anointed one hang on a cross and die like that? And it's foolishness to Gentiles because in what world does the creator of everything win through losing? In what world does the creator of everything accomplish his will by giving in to the will of those whom he came to? to save. How does death lead to life? This whole upside down way of God doing things in the world through his anointed one Jesus Christ comes to life on that cross and it doesn't make sense to a world who can only think of things through physical lenses. 
It just doesn't make any sense. Why would God do that? Why would he come, take on flesh, and die on the cross? It doesn't make a lick of sense to anyone who's not spiritually minded. But listen to what Paul says. But to those who are called, those of us who are called by name by our shepherd, those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's not just that we're focused on Jesus, it's that we're focused on that crucified Savior. Because on that cross, everything we think we understand about the world is done away with. And we're able to see things through the eyes of our Savior and through the eyes of our Creator, motivated by love. We talked about it in Aaron's class this morning. How is love manifest in this world? How is it that we come to understand love? Is it because we loved God? No, John says in 1 John chapter 4, it's not that we love God, but that he did what? He loved us and did what? Gave his son on the cross to illustrate and manifest that love to us. So when you think about what it is we're pointing people towards, I want you to understand something, and I'll try to flesh it out here in this next slide. So in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 through 5, now go back to our main text. Let me continue with Paul's thought here. So he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we focus people on the cross, they're no longer focused on us. When we focus people on the cross, they're no longer worried. It's no longer about, hey, come to church with me because my preacher's amazing. Something you guys will never have to worry about saying as long as I'm here. In Yorba Linda, there's a Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, you probably have something in your own communities. Uh, it's called Yorba Linda Buzz, and it's like this community page where you can come together and you can ask anything or seek community help. Hey, I've got a garage sale. Where's the best place to get tacos in town? Yada, yada, yada. But one of the things you see come up more often than not is, hey, we're new to town. We're looking for a place to worship. Where should we go? And those are the most popular posts because everybody's excited to tell them about where they go to church, right? Oh, you need to come where we go because it's always the same two things. Because our pastor is amazing. And number two, because our programs are out of this world. Listen, I hope, and in my heart, I'm a people pleaser like everybody else, right? I, I want you guys to like me, if I'm being honest. And I hope we can build a friendship over time. But if people come to hear me, there's going to be a point where they're not picking up what I'm putting down, right? And there's going to come a point where I'm just going to fail to entertain them like I want. Or I'm, I'm not going to hit at the challenges that they have in their life. If they've come for me or any man who stands in front and preaches the word, then they're bound to be disappointed. And if you build a church on the personality of one man, guess what happens? That man leaves and where do people go? They don't have anywhere to go anymore because their anchor was in him and not in Christ. If the church becomes an organization instead of an organism, and the church becomes this thing that we have to, we, we have to advertise 
and we have to plug and we have to promote as if it exists somehow on an other plane apart from the crucified Savior, then the church at some point will disappoint people. The organization will never fulfill their needs, but if we can bring people to the foot of the cross and focus them on that crucified Savior, then this is what will happen. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men because it will always disappoint, but instead in what? In the power of God. And the power of God is most clearly seen in that man on the cross. And I hope we can all agree on that. When Paul talks about this to the church in Corinth, this was a reality that the Christians in Corinth had come to not just know and understand, but have experienced. Real quick, let me share you one of my favorite stories out of the life of Paul. So in Acts chapter 18, this coincidentally is the chapter where Paul goes to Corinth and plants the church in Corinth alongside a couple other people that were helping him. And this is my favorite story, right? So if you turn to 1 Corinthians, or sorry, Acts chapter 18, and I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Acts chapter 18 and verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, you, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And it's this dramatic scene we have in our head, right? Paul spent all this time in the synagogue and they don't want to listen to him. And so dramatically, you know, your, your blood be on your own heads. I'm going to the Gentiles. And you could Paul, see Paul just marching off into the sunset, right? To carry on the work of God. Except he doesn't march off into the sunset. This is what happens next. Verse 7, And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Favorite verse, his house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> I love that story, right? Paul, I've had enough of you. I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. And you can see him. He walks out and he walks right back to the other guy's house next door, right? And you can see Paul. I've got this picture of Paul for the next few weeks, right? As everybody gathers in the synagogue, him sitting on the front porch waving to them of the house next door, right? I mean, Paul wasn't driven out of town. He didn't take his ball and go home because he was offended. He just went to where God was going to work, where the fertile soil was. And in this instance, it happened to be right next door to the synagogue. And God did something none of us would expect. You pick up and you continue reading. Listen to what it says in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. The leader of the synagogue next door becomes a Christian. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And that's consistent throughout the book of Acts, right? But what do we do? We read about how awesome Paul was, and Paul's trying to get us to understand this isn't Paul's doing. Paul got mad and went next door, and God still, in that context, did something amazing. So the Corinthian church was used to this, that if you focus your eyes on the cross, if we collectively determine to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, what will the Spirit do through us? If everything I do is aimed at bringing people to that man on the cross, if everything you do is aimed at focusing people on that man on the cross, if everything we do collectively is aimed at bringing people to the cross, what will the Spirit do through us? When we decide to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the Spirit forms us collectively into a cross shaped community. And I don't mean that we become shaped like a cross. I mean that we become shaped by 
the cross. This becomes our entire identity. And I have no doubt that if you will join me in this journey together in fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and making everything we do about elevating his holy name, that the Spirit will do through us what it has done through Christians for ages. And you will be amazed by the work of God. So join me, won't you, as we decide to be know-nothings. There's nothing in this world that we need to know more than the reality of God's love for us. That he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins to prove the unbelievable worth of you in your soul and your life. And that crucified Savior stands at the right hand of God in heaven as a lamb who was slain. Think about the great kings and conquerors throughout the history of the world. And they all stand covered in blood, but usually the blood that's on their garments is whose blood? The blood of the enemies that they have slain along the way, right, in order to achieve power and rise to power. And yet here at the right hand of God is his anointed one, the Christ, the ultimate king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And he stands at the right hand of God as a lamb who was slain. Read Revelation 5 and get that picture in your mind. And the lamb that was slain, you can imagine this pure white lamb whose coat is drenched in what? Blood. That's what a, a, a slain lamb looks like. But whose blood is he covered with? Not the blood of his enemies, but whose blood? His own blood. That's what happened at the cross. It's foolishness. It makes no sense to the world, but to us we understand perfectly what God did in manifesting his love towards us. And so by way of invitation this morning, I invite you on this journey with me as we become a more cross-shaped community. And if you have not yet laid your life at the foot of that cross and given yourself over to that Savior and allowed him to shape you and mold you and fill you with his spirit, if you've not yet had him place you in his family through baptism, if you've not yet repented of your sins, if you've not yet confessed him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, if you have a need at all from this family this morning, whatever it might be, I invite you. Let's stand and let's sing this song together. And if you have a need, come forward and let me know what it is. Let's stand and sing.